this is Tony Speaks, and this is my lovely wife, Kim. We are the founders and co-creators of the lifestyle brand and podcast, Becoming Disciplined. Every week we meet, learn from, and share best practices with highly disciplined men and women from a variety of fields and endeavors. Follow us on our journey. My wife, Kim, is never easily impressed, but this next guest for years has both impressed and inspired my lovely bride. For this week, if you want to get your home organized, if you want to get your life organized, we introduce you today to America's most organized mom. Today on Becoming Disciplined, we interview the most organized mom in America, Leah Zapata. Leah, welcome to Becoming Disciplined. Thank you so much, Tony. <laughs> oh, no problem, no problem. We are so honored to have you. Now, let me stress to everybody that the title we give to Leah is subjective, and Leah is always very humble. And we know she's probably in her mind thinking, I don't feel organized at all. But she won't receive that title, but we're giving it, we're giving her her flowers right now. So, Leah, before you educate us on how you became such an organized and uh, incredible person, uh, before you educate us on that, can you share your current story? I think it's good for our audience, just like you're studying a lot of, um, uh, a lot of deep things about the Bible right now. We know number one thing as you study the Bible is context is everything. Uh, your context. Can you share your context, the beginning of your story? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Triangle, right outside the Quantico Marine Corps base. Awesome, um, awesome. My parents lived within, you know, one to two miles of each home that we progressed through. So I can take a trip down memory lane in Triangle, Quantico, Dumfries area and hit all my grown-up houses from childhood. Okay. So, and now I live in Lake Ridge, like 20 minutes away from where I grew up. Oh, wow, 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 wow. Now, um, can you describe your childhood? Would you consider it traditional, non-traditional? How would you describe your childhood? Yeah, so I'm the oldest of two siblings. My brother is about two years younger than me. Um, Mom, dad, we went to church on the regular we kind of popped to a few different churches, depending on the season. My uncle is a pastor, so we frequented his church quite a bit. Um, it was a little hike from our house, so when it was too far, we went local. Um, went to a few Pentecostal churches and, you know, heard some brimstone and fire happening. And then went to my uncle's church, which is Baptist. Um, during the summers, we stayed with my grandma, and she went to an independent Baptist church, and she was really formidable in my uh, upbringing and my understanding of the word. So church was important, um, relationships real important, and uh, just a small, small family. We stuck in the same house, didn't grow up with much. I mean, I can remember fried bologna for dinner. <laughs> Like, you know, and, and we always had like smaller houses and we were just so happy and content. And I look back and I'm like, why do we as parents want more than what we had? Mm. Like, you know, our kids are probably content with less because we were wow. we never knew. But we're always wow, trying wow, to try good. to give them more. And I don't know why. That's good. That's good to know. That's good. That's good reflections there. Now, who would you say? 
you mentioned you mentioned grandma. Who, who was that person that really inspired you as a child uh, with their level of discipline or organization? Uh, I would say I would go back to my grandma again because of her discipline in the word. Everything that she did um, was informed by her love of Christ. So mm. her health discipline was informed by her love of Christ and her desire to keep her temple holy. Her The way she interacted with people, the way um, she kept her home, it was all foundational to scripture. And she went to bed every night reading her Bible. She woke up every morning reading her Bible. So to see that discipline in her, um, man, I wish I could say I emulate it every day. <laughs> <laughs> but but I've, I've got that to strive for. I mean, like, you know, she made it up there in her years, so I've got a few years to catch up to her. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Now, can you say your name just to give her honor? Oh, yeah. we, uh, her name is Virginia Cushon. We actually lost her in uh, 2013. She passed mm. away. And um, just last month, we sold her home. Um, oh. So my mom and I spent some real good quality time going through her things in the past few months and just remembering who she was and why she was so important to our faith journey. And, and she really is, I would say the matriarch of the faith for our entire family tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a similar, I, well, similar look, my grandma was also the matriarch and she also was pretty solid, really solid in the word and also encouraged. She also had a little bit of legalism that she would kind of like, my grandma was kind of, could be a little legalistic or could be a little, you know, a little, she, she sometimes pushed some extra biblical traditions, you know, and, uh, but I will say this, and this was like a full circle moment. I, uh, similarly, you know, I made peace with her before she passed. And then, you know, because I came to Christ. When I came to Christ, that made me have, make peace with her. Um, and actually communion, you know, because they teach you communion. You can't take communion, have all, and, you know, you should not take communion when you're having problems with somebody. And uh, so that made me call her and kind of make up with her. After I made up with her, she passed. And then many, many years later, going through her things, we found this poetry book. And this book of poetry, it was filled with like her Christ-centered love of Jesus and in all of this poetry, this all of this love of the Lord. And I'm not gonna lie, like I just read that book and just wept, you know, because we, we, we had separated and we had allowed things to separate. But then, you know, after I had matured in the word and she was gone, I could read and I could say, oh, wow, look at that commonality, you know? So the things we get from our ancestors and our grandmas, it's amazing, you know? Were those pieces that she wrote herself? Yes. Really? Yes. Yes. You could hear her voice in it when you read them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was like I could communicate with her even though she was gone, but I could communicate in a way that I never really could communicate. Because grandma, you know, matter of fact, a lot of the things she said, I do with my family now, but when I was a kid, I thought, oh, see grandma, why is she always ruining everything? You know, because like, you know, certain, like, you know, like, I mean, no offense to anyone listening, we're not judgy or whatever, but but my grandma was not that, she was very kind of critical of, uh, 
of um, of Halloween and, and things like that. And uh, when I was a kid, I just thought she's just the meanest grandma in the world. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, when you get older, you just, I just have a different, I see where, and for all the Christians who are listening here, I'm not condemning anyone who does uh, does Halloween. I just see it now differently. I see her warning us. I see her admonition a little differently now, but I didn't mean to go off on that. It just your your story about going through the house of grandma reminded me of my grandmother. So. It, you know, it's interesting. Um, I have I have a Bible. Like when she passed, there were a few things that each one of us really wanted to retain and keep in our own home, and her Bible was one of the things that I really wanted. And mm-hmm. my reason for that was, you know, a lot of different things. Um, it, it was the actual physical words that she herself read and, and right. changed her life. But her handwriting is in the margin on every mm. one of those pages. Mm. And I spoke at her funeral and I had her Bible there. And I said, if you didn't know any of the words in this Bible here, you could be led to Christ simply by what she wrote in the margins. Wow. Her, her understanding was just so deep that that in itself could lead somebody to Christ. Mm. And so that's something that I've taken with me, um, simply writing, like writing what's important to you. When you receive a gift, writing who it came from, writing the date on things, because one day you're going to be gone. Like, that's right. That's right. There will be people left who will really appreciate and may even be changed by mm. what you leave behind. That's awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. Now, what advice, Leah, would you give to your 15-year-old self? If you could if you could whisper into the ears of your 15-year-old uh, Leah Taylor. Leah Taylor, correct? Is yeah, Taylor? good yeah. Okay. All right. It's been a lot of years since you I called you Taylor. So so, so uh so what what advice would you give that 15-year-old person? Yeah, so I thought about that uh, good and hard, and I know exactly what I would say, and that would be do not prevent yourself from attempting something just because there's the possibility of failing at it. Mm. Because if I knew I was going to succeed, I was all in, like super confident, all in, no hesitation. But if there was a possibility of embarrassment, or the possibility I might not succeed at it, I would not even try. Mm, okay. And and I can like count the number of things that did not happen, not because I tried and I didn't make it, but the number of things that I never even tried because I was too worried or too nervous or too embarrassed. And so now my 42 year old self, <laughs> I try right. everything. Like, right, right, if right. I don't make it, cool, that's fine. <laughs> but, right, right, right. but I missed out on some pretty important things like going to college. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, like, I missed out on some pretty important things just because I was afraid of failing. Amen, amen, amen. That's good to know. That is good to know. Now, one time your dad ran for office. Has your family always been kind of involved in the community, or was that something that kind of happened later on? <laughs> he, as far as I know, that is the only time, and he is the only person that has ever run for an office. <laughs> oh wow, 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 wow! Like, so, so politics have never been a thing. We have our our opinions, you know, and our thoughts, and we vote, you know. But I don't know where it came from. <laughs> <For him. laughs> My mom was like, "You want to do what? 
all right. It was was so cool to see him really like go after something just to see if he could. And that that was a really growth, a growth opportunity for him and for us to see him attempt that. Um, But we've always been involved in youth groups, you know, community service groups, um, Masonic youth groups. I was super involved in Job's Daughters when I was younger. My dad was a Mason um, sure. and lots of church groups. So, so yeah, we, we love people <laughs> and we love to help people. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, uh, the spouse that you pick in life is a huge part of success in life. You know, that, 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 uh, that, that spouse is it's very informative on how the rest of the life unfolds. And I've even given pastoral guidance to people who it went another direction, you know, or things went in another direction, you know. And how did you know that uh, my brother Milton was the right pick? And, and also, in other words, let me kind of reshape this question as well, uh, just to make it more practical uh, for everyone listening. Um, in other words, I have two little daughters who will see this interview in 12 years, hopefully. Mm-hmm. What should they look for in a husband? So I guess I'm going to break it out into two. How did you know Milton was the right pick? And then now at 42, how, you know, what are your thoughts about picking the right person? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so how did I know he was the right one? Two yes, things. Ma'am. I was dating somebody else at the time. And he had just committed to a life of singleness. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, like, if, if it was going to come together, it had to be God. <laughs> Amen. 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 So, um, he, he had reached a place in his uh, maturity in his life where he had truly said, if you want me to be like Paul, so let it be. I, I will live this life for you and I will do it by myself. And only if you bring someone else alongside me, will I veer off of that path. And when he met me, he's like, all right, I'm ready to veer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so then for looking back on it, I would say this is for a believer, you know, from a, a, a Christian believer's point of view, when, when you feel like what you can accomplish for Christ is able to be multiplied when you do it in partnership with this other person, then it's a good fit. If you feel like solo, you wouldn't be able to accomplish nearly as much as if that person were right there beside you, cheering you on, you cheering them on. But if, if you are in a place where he was, where he's like, you know what, these people I've been partnering with these people I've been aligning with they are not accentuating my purpose in Christ and and he got to a place in that so he's like you know what then that means I'm supposed to be single and so so it goes both ways like the way you align yourself with people should accentuate what you can do for Christ and again this is from a Christian perspective um for someone seeking a partner who is not a Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower, then you just need to pray, pray, pray that out. I mean, mm-hmm. aligning yourself with someone who is not a believer and knowingly doing that, you got to pray about that. 
Amen. 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 Yeah, I, I won't officiate those weddings. I've gotten people mad at me before, but I won't officiate a wedding where it's two different faiths um, or, or faith and no faith. I don't I don't officiate those, uh, you know, just because I just don't I want to encourage. Uh, I think people really need to pray about that. People really need to pray about that. Now, when I met him, your dad was a very gregarious and passionate person. And I went to high school with your husband, and he was a very gregarious and passionate person. Do you think that that was a subconscious selection, or or, or and maybe maybe I only met your dad once. Uh, maybe that was a, you know that he maybe he was in campaign mode, and that was you know. But do you think do you realize that those were personality similarities, or do you think that that's was that subconscious, conscious? Can, you know, what are your thoughts? Yeah, on that? that's. They, they say that you marry people who have similarities to, you know, your parents. And I was always like, no, there's no way. <laughs> and so we're hanging out for Mother's Day at my mom's, my mom and dad's house this past weekend. And my dad and Milton are on the, on the, in the front yard and they're standing there and they're like, what's up? What's up? And they can stand there for like an hour and not have to say anything. And they're totally both content. <laughs> so I did look for somebody who was like my dad. Why? <laughs> um, Milton has, he's an introvert by far who has learned extrovert skills. I mean, he's a worship leader and he can get out there and praise like nobody's business, but he doesn't do it for himself. So he is extroverted when he is in Christ and Christ alone. But when it comes to his own personal relationships and discussions, he's very introverted. And my dad's the same way. He's oh, like, wow. like you mentioned, like campaign mode. My dad would go out there and he could talk to anybody. But then he gets home and he's like, all right, I'm in my quiet zone. I'm good. <laughs> right, right, right. Wow, wow. That's awesome. Well, I would never have known that about either one of them because when, Milt was in school. He was he was on. You know what I'm saying? Like he was on. Like he would he could get into quiet moments. But uh, okay, so all right. Well, learn something new every day. Learn something new every day. Now you've you've started something new, and I've been excited about reading uh, reading about it online. Uh, what is it like to go back to college? And how long? You know, was this your first foray back into college, or? Or have you sporadically gone back? Or just tell us about that experience. Yeah, so great question. Um, this is one of those things, you know, my 15-year-old self, I would have said, hey, in a few years, you're going to be tempted to not continue your college courses. You're going to be tempted to do that, but you should keep going. Like, I had a full ride to the, for, through the Air Force to go to school for four years. Oh, wow. And, and I declined it. Because what if, what if I'm not good in the Air Force? So I never even pursued it. That was my 15-year-old self stopping myself short because I was nervous of failing. So I graduated high school. I took some classes at NOVA, you know, community classes. And I was working at the same time. And, and then I decided, well... Maybe I'll just pause the classes and work a little more, you know, and make some money and go back to school. Well, I never went back to school. Mm. So in March of last year, when the pandemic really hit, I was in a job that unfortunately had um, some big financial implications. It was a nonprofit. Mm. And they had to let 
let some folks go. And that very day, I'm like, I need to go to college. I applied to Regent that day. And I started classes like a month later. And I had two years worth of credits built up and I never even knew it. (laughs) So now, plugging away at it a whole year, I will will have my very first college degree next by next summer. I'll be 43 years old with my very first college degree. And I would not recommend this um, as the way you go about getting your degree. However, 20 plus years of experience working in nonprofit, working in different ministries, working in church, working in um, tech companies, healthcare, legal teams. I know what I'm good at now. Mm. I know my passions. I know my giftings. I know what God has called me to do. And so I actually was able to find a degree that speaks to me. And Mm. I feel like this specific degree just kind of wraps a bow around what I already know I'm good at. Mm. And that could only have come through trying and failing (laughs) lots of different things. And again, I would not recommend that, you know, if go to college, you know, when you're young, because it's a lot easier. I mean, I got a bunch of kids running around. I got to feed people. Sometimes I'm writing an essay and I forget to do dinner. So (laughs) (laughs) this is easier when you're younger, but for me, the benefit is that now I know what I want to be when I grow up. Sure. That's awesome. That is awesome. Uh, I encourage the same with people. I I tell young people, even if you don't know your gift, get a degree in business administration, because then no matter what your gift is, there's going to be a business element or an organizational element to it. So, you know, you, uh, the, the gifting will come uh, with a lot of prayer and fasting, but, but, the, uh, but you know, getting that education early is important. So I, uh, I agree with you totally. And also, one of our most hardcore listeners, our, our most hardcore uh, supporter uh, is the purpose strategist. And she said, uh, she's saying, beautiful story, what amazing gift from your grandmother. And then also she said, yay, I just graduated from Regent University. Many oh, congrats. And then she says, I'm 42. And so, <laughs> so as a matter of fact, I just, I'm dead serious. She graduated this weekend, actually. Last Saturday, I was liking her pages and her family was out and she's 42 and just graduated from Regent. So, I so she's, called, <laughs> she's the purpose strategist. I'll, I'll, I'll connect you two later on. Amen. Amen. Now for our audience. That is cool. What's that? I said amen that for cool. that. I'm really proud of her. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Now, for our audience, you're the mother of how many babies? How many children? We have three children in our home, and the Lord is raising one for us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, let's time travel one more time. What advice, you know, the, uh, let's time travel to the day where the, the doctor places your first baby on your chest. Mm. Okay, Milton's there, you know, probably crying and... Uh, you know, and, and, and you have the option, you have the option to walk into that room and whisper into mama, new mama Leah Zapata's ear at that particular second. W- what advice do you give new mom Leah Zapata? She won't break if you drop her. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> First time moms are so. Amen. 
like cautious and so careful mm. and you know, second time mom, third time mom, you're like, whatever, it's just dirt, eat it, make a sandwich out of it. Like, (laughs) first time, I would say, I I probably, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed being a mom, but I would say, allow myself to let go of the things that are not critical. Lean into the things of the moment and and the things that can be done later, do them later. Just be Amen. in the moment more. Amen. Amen. I, just for our audience, I want to build on what you just said. Is uh, I, uh, I felt so bad because I'm not a fix it dad. You know, I, I just don't know. You know, like I, I'm with these, I'm 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 useless, right? So um, we bought a crib, and then. I did not have it assembled on the day that Courtney came. And then, you know, a month goes by too, and I'm beating myself up because, oh, we don't have, and you know, and then finally the crib ended up getting assembled. And then, you know, the baby comes and Courtney wanted nothing to do with that crib for like a whole year. You know, like she she stayed in a bassinet next to our bed. (laughs) Or on the long, and I'm like, I beat myself up over this crib and turn, and I, I, you know, I know it sounds simple now, but I really turned it into a thing. Where like I'm, I'm failing as a dad because I didn't have, didn't have this crib assembled, and it turns out something we didn't even use for the longest uh, period of time. So I just wanted to say amen to what you said. Yeah, yeah, and and you don't know what you don't know. The first time you're a parent, mm-hmm. you like you buy these books. I mean, we had so many books about how to be a parent. And then the more kids we had, we're like, get rid of all those books. Let's just be a parent. That's how you figure out how to do it. Just do it. (laughs) Now, now I know you probably don't think of yourself, but but Kim and I really kind of almost look up to you like a superhero. (laughs) Uh, We we really do. Uh, My question is, were you, would people have, since you probably wouldn't say this about yourself, would people say that you were very organized before motherhood or did motherhood bring a lot of the organizational stuff out of you? Like, like, was it, was that a thing that the motherhood just uh, motherhood augmented or, or did you think you always had kind of those traits there? I owned my first label maker when I was like 10. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, I will say I love organizing. Like, I love it. But maintaining organization is a beast. I mean, like, I love systems. But my favorite thing to do, I actually considered going to school to be a professional organizer. Because I love going into other people's spaces and, like, observing what they've got going on and helping them come up with a good system. Because it's so much more easy to have a critical eye over someone else's things. You know, it's Mm. easy to have a critical eye over someone else's life, (laughs) over someone else's choices. You can't see your own. So so I thought I would apply that concept to organizing. I love to organize. Um, And I do it here. But then, you know, maintaining the organization in your own home just looks so much different Mm. because you're attached to every single little thing. Like, purge and give things away to the thrift store. You you think about 
oh, the person that gave this little trinket to me, should I keep this little trinket? You're just attached to all your own stuff. So, so yeah, uh, so motherhood, I think, just gave me more stuff to organize. Okay. <laughs> amen. 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 Now, now, typically, I would be terrified to ask this question, but uh, you know, you and Milton have have uh, been able to minister to others, and you've been able to touch, uh, I would say, probably thousands of lives uh, with this uh, with this next uh, story or this next testimony. Um, how can you tell us about? Uh, young Solomon Zapata, amen. And can you tell us about how he changed your life? Yeah. So, I, when you asked how many kids we had, of course, you know our story. Um, we've got a 13 year old, an 11 year old, and a four year old in the house right now Naomi, yes. Israel, and Elisha. Mm -hmm. We've also got a son who would be nine. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so we were pregnant, um, you know, just knocking all the kids out. We wanted to have like our own little soccer team. So every two years, you know, we're having <laughs> another one. And, and so we're, we're at the doctor's office and, and something wasn't quite right at this particular mm -hmm. visit. So they referred us for some additional testing and we had a sonogram done and this doctor, the radiographer comes in and Milton and I are just sitting there and he said, well, as you know, this life is not viable. Would you like to go ahead and have an abortion now? And we're like, what? 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 Oh my God. We did not know. And, mm. and the nurse that was in the room, she put her hand on the doctor and she says, oh, doctor, they didn't know that. Oh. I mean, when you hear like bedside manner and no bedside manner, this was like the dichotomy of those two things coming to a head right there with those two people. And, oh and so God. he walked out of the room and in that moment, I have, I, I will say this time and time again, I've always been, and I always will be pro-life. Um, I have always deep in my heart been upset when people choose to have an abortion and I, I, I I've always thought to myself what possibly what scenario possibly could have happened that would draw you to make a decision like that but I have never been faced with having to make that choice mm -hmm. in that moment when we knew that the child we were carrying had a terminal condition a hundred percent certainty he would pass away. Right. We chose to continue with his life for as long as God would allow it. But my heart just completely was shattered mm. for all of those who choose the other direction. And mm. I will that that was not an easy choice. I and I absolutely a hundred percent regret ever thinking that people who have chosen to terminate thought that it was an easy choice. Mm, that's so powerful. So, that's so, so if anybody is watching, you know, that has ever gone down that path of termination, my heart utterly breaks 
for them. That they had to, to make that choice because it was not easy to put myself in that position. So Amen. pro-life, pro-choice, it's not an easy choice. And and Amen. my heart just breaks for those who who have lost a child through that choice that they'll never get to meet. Um, but we did get to meet Solomon. Amen. We chose, we chose life, and that was that was difficult because we knew when we chose life that we weren't going to get to bring him home. And the easier road would have been to terminate. And I don't think anybody would have faulted us in that choice because he had anencephaly. His brain would never form, never thrive outside of the womb. It's 100% fatal every time. So he was born on April 13th. Um, and he lived for six days. Wow. 75% of the children with anencephaly pass away before birth. Mm-hmm. Of those that are actually born alive, like 75, 80% pass away within the first hour, two hours. He lived for six days and 21 hours. And, Amen. Amen. Right. It, it's... The only choice we ever had to make in the whole scenario was, are we going to choose life or are we going to end life? And when Mm -hmm. we decided we are going to choose life and let God decide how long that life is going to be, we had to be okay with whatever his choice was. And so we Mm -hmm. constantly involved friends, family, church, community, and, and prayer to help prepare us. Like, hey, if it's to be that he passes away in the womb, let us be prepared for that. If we have a stillbirth, let us be prepared for that. We were not prepared to be able to say hello to him before we had to say goodbye. Oh, that's so powerful. That is so powerful. That is so powerful. That is so powerful. You know, I can honestly say that your testimony, I, I mean, I knew... I knew a great deal of it, but when you're telling us now, uh, you probably changed a lot of lives forever. Um, you know, because it's so easy for people to have strong opinions yeah, yeah. Um, when they've never been through something, you know, and I'm one of those people who uh, would have had, uh, you know, a lot of strong opinions and a lot of judgment for people who made those decisions. And then now hearing your words, it's, uh, I, I'm just, I'm pretending to still be sitting here in the chair. Uh, the Lord has knocked me over on, on the floor in the spirit. So, so I just want to tell you that's uh, so powerful. And it's, you know, it kind of makes us, we have to all be careful. All of us who have are, uh, it's really humbling. You know, it's really humbling because, you know, we, sometimes we think we can have it all figured out. And uh, your testimony really kind of, is it's is real humbling for people and we really have to kind of proceed with a lot more love and care and empathy uh toward others so i think you've changed a lot of lives uh it's you know we could actually wrap the whole interview now but we're gonna keep it going amen we're gonna keep it going we're gonna keep it going sandwich. <laughs> but uh, with all of with all of that in mind um 
with your babies, what inspired you to, to homeschool? What, what led you to homeschool? We, man, schooling has like taken so many turns for us. Um, I was at uh, my friend Amanda's house, Miss um, Amanda Long, for a, a bag party. <laughs> we were we were looking at thirty one bags, and and I just happened to be sitting next to somebody who was like the director of this homeschool organization. And I asked Amanda, I said, "Hey, do you know anything about homeschooling?" And she's like, "Leah." look who you're sitting beside. And so I started this conversation with her and that turned into a five year stint of homeschooling. And, and we, we talked about homeschooling. I wasn't homeschooled. Milton wasn't homeschooled. We both were public schooled. Um, but we felt like homeschooling was an opportunity to marry education with faith and <laughs> us be the one to push that forward in the best way for our kids because you know your kids the best you know their yeah. learning style you know their strengths their weaknesses um and so for five good solid years we did classical christian homeschooling mm-hmm. and then no one got sick um and your amazing wife came and brought me food in the hospital and she sat with me and she cried with me um when Nolan was there being treated we we didn't know what was wrong with him and he had to have chemotherapy and he had blood clots and his platelets were just depleting and he was bleeding and, and we didn't know what was happening and in that season we thought okay we need to reevaluate homeschooling because if this is something that's chronic and and I need to take care of my baby, my big baby, then I might not be able to school my kids. So so the Lord laid it on our hearts to to look outside of ourselves for schooling. And and so now we have actually stepped out of homeschooling and we are partnering with a classical Christian school and the kids are going there full time. And in my heart, I feel like we are a homeschooling family who just happens to be outsourcing. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's very, very good. <laughs> and, and so there's this just Christian education in general, homeschooling, private schooling is such an opportunity for kids to and this is this is I think this is why we were so convinced of it in the beginning. It's such an opportunity to um, show show children that we are not in the center. Like mm-hmm. God is in the center, and science connects to God. Mm-hmm. Math connects to God. God is not one of the subjects to be studied. God is central to all of the subjects to be studied. Amen. And so it was if if it had not been for us homeschooling we would not have even found a brick and mortar school that mm-hmm. teaches the same concepts because yeah. we didn't know classical schools existed and classical christian i i will tell that you know till the day i die that i love that type of schooling and education awesome 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 now um let's time travel one more time Let's time travel to your first 
your first, as you're getting started in homeschooling, you were there for our family. And I don't think my wife would have been able to homeschool without your, your influence. So we just thank you for that. It's, it's really been life changing for us. What advice do you have to, to Leah, your first year homeschooling that our young homeschooling moms can learn from? Okay, I align myself with a mentor. Okay. Yeah, that's, I think that's part of that um, trigger when you think you might not succeed at something. Sometimes you don't pursue it like you could. Well, at the same time, I think sometimes we're embarrassed or nervous to say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing yet. Will you come alongside me? Because I want to be superwoman. Like, I don't want anybody to know when I don't know what I'm doing. I always want to look like I know what I'm doing. And I don't like to ask for help. <laughs> like, right. a lot of people think that, like, men are the stubborn ones, not wanting to ask for directions. <laughs> Both Milton and I got that going on. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, um. I, I, I wish I would have aligned myself with a mentor and, and I was in an amazing group of, of fellow moms. Like, I mean, we met together every week. Our kids came together every week in the same place. Um, it was an amazing setup, an amazing scenario, but personally to speak what I was not feeling confident in to actually to call it what it was and to find someone who was excelling in that thing, I think would have set me up for so much more success. Very good. Very good. Very good. Now, um, I'm gonna, let me give some context. This is my roughest question I have for you coming up. All right. Okay, I'm this, ready. The, this is the hardest, but, but I want to give the context so it doesn't come off the the wrong way. Um, my wife is the disciplined one in our household, and and I'm very transparent with our audience that um, this is the story of me monetizing my greatest weakness. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, <laughs> so this is a way of me trying to make some money off of you know I consider myself the most undisciplined man in the world. I know I'm not, but I say that just so that I don't I don't uh, surprise anyone. I'm not the disciplined one. My wife is, and I share that. Because even though my wife is the disciplined one, uh, she kind of jokes and she says, Tony, but you're a red light performer because you're since you always procrastinate, you know, I can throw you in and you can improv and you can make something you can make, you know, some 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 craziness look like it's all put together at the last minute. Um, my question, here's my toughest question. Do you believe that your organization has ever cost you improvisationally? You know, like, like, so, so, like, if I put you, like, if you got put on the spot at the last minute, do you think you could, you know, or do you think that organization has actually helped you or hurt you in that area? That's a great question. So, I think because of the vast range of what I have done working in medical offices, you know, front front row, back row in different places. Um, I think that I have developed skills in both camps. So I thrive and I can succeed in impromptu ad lib stuff. 
That is something that I've honed over time, but it usually comes because my, maybe not my, my things are organized, but my thoughts about the subject are organized. Oh, that's good. That's good. So if I'm comfortable and confident in what I'm about to speak about, then I can be impromptu. And I, and I can just off the cuff talk about something. If it's something I'm not comfortable with, not confident in, I tend to organize it more. Mm, that's good. So, that's so good. if you ever see me like, no, I mean, Milton, if you're watching this, honey, <laughs> this is so true. If he finds me like pulling everything out of the pantry and reorganizing the whole pantry, it's because I'm trying to procrastinate and not do something I'm supposed to be doing. Mm, okay. 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 That's good. But to know. Sometimes that is good to know. go off mm-hmm. the deep end and I use my organization as a procrastination tool. Mm, I've heard that from others as well. I have heard that from others as well. It's my, mm, that's good. So my Myers-Briggs is ESFJ. And okay. one of the funny memes about it is, oh, hey, I saw you were away. So I went ahead and let myself in your house and I organized your refrigerator for you. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody asked me to organize the refrigerator. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> but I have been known to organize a refrigerator just because I'm trying not to do something that I'm supposed to be doing. So, mm, so I have learned to use the organization when it's appropriate mm. and when it will be a blessing and when it will be a benefit. And if it will not be a blessing or a benefit, it doesn't need to be organized. That's good. That is good. That in itself is organization. That's a mental organization. That's really good. That's really good. Now, the main reason why I invited you on the podcast is my wife is a pretty disciplined woman, but when she came home after the first time of hanging out with you, her eyes were like saucers, and she went on and on about you, about a couple of things. She went on and on about your calendars. She went on and on about your space utilization, and she went on and on about your superior parenting skills, and my wife is not easily impressed. So but for our audience and for moms out there today, what calendar tools do you use and do you have any time management tips for home organizers? Mm, man, this has gone through so many iterations and sure. anybody who has ever used digital calendars, you know, you, you find a favorite and then you you fall out of love and you find another favorite and then you fall out of love and then you just give up and you start writing on a paper calendar. <laughs> amen. 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 So I will say, and, and this is not something I was doing back then. Um, so this is going to be new information that Kim probably doesn't know, but I think my favorite tool right now is the bullet journal. Okay. So if you haven't, heard of the bullet journal like look it up there's the creator of this method has an entire book um explaining the bullet method and and this fits my this fits my the way i think about things so digital calendars are preset for you you know you can go to the christian bookstore and get a paper 
planner. You can get a paper organizer. You can get a, a greeting card organizer. Like, you know, there's a book and an organizer for everything you can imagine. Right. Some of them have scripture. Some of them have quotes from Shakespeare, like, you know. But the bullet journal is a whole book of blank pages. And it has tiny little dots on every single page. And you create your own system. That is my favorite because okay. some months I need to be hyper organized because the kids have so many things. So I will, I will draw a calendar and he gives you instructions. Um, I'll draw a calendar out. Other months, we're not doing anything because it's summer. And so I'm not wasting a few pages of a pre-printed calendar when it comes to that time in that book. I just write something else on it in a single book my shopping list, the scripture I want to focus on, you can journal in it. it so, so that is my current way that I'm organizing because it's the best of everything I've ever tried and you create it yourself. And it's not, and, and what's the best part is not perfect. I think that's where we have to allow ourselves some grace that Every system out there, it works amazing until you stop using it. Amen. So Amen. don't go and buy this crazy expensive like Franklin planner because it's not going to work for you unless you know that you're a Franklin planner kind of person. The planner isn't going to make you organized. That's good. You figure out what your methods are. How what what's the constraints that you thrive within and that's why i love the bullet journal because you create the structure that you thrive within and it can evolve and change through the course of your book that's good that's good so, well uh audience members we will have the bullet journal in the show notes <laughs> and by clicking on that journal uh we will have an amazon affiliate link where you will support us by clicking and buying that bullet journal. So awesome. uh, come on, audience members. You uh, you need that bullet journal, audience members. So uh, with all of that in mind, Kim was also truly impressed with this reward system that you had for your kids. Now, you probably moved on since then. Do you remember that award system? I, where it was like different stars and different things that you, you had? Know, I, saw, I saw that question in the notes, and I'm like, okay. wow, I don't remember. But obviously... <laughs> It worked for a time until it didn't. Um, and I will say, like, the more kids you have, in my mind, like, Milton and I produced three kids that are in our home. Sure. We are the same two people. So all three of our kids should act the same, right? Like, the discipline that applies to one should make sense for all three of them. If this one's favorite food is this, it should be the same for all of them. I bet, I would almost guarantee when Kim saw that, that we were only using it for like one of the kids when we thought okay. <laughs> we were like perfect parenting and we didn't have a second child that was old enough to, you know, <laughs> question that. Right, right, right. So, so I think a big growth factor for us has been in recognizing each child and whether they value intrinsic things or extrinsic things. Do they do they themselves 
feel the most value when they are proud of what they've accomplished? Or do they feel the most valued when other people notice what they've done? And, and that's huge. Like for a kid, um, because if they themselves are proud of it, it doesn't matter what you say. And if you, if you, even if you chastise them, it's not going to bother them either. If you accolade them or chastise them, it won't matter if they don't feel it themselves. But for the other child, it could be completely opposite. So, so we've grown a lot in that, just really observing how each of our kids um, receives things and responds to things. And then doing the rewards, doing the discipline based on that very individually. And it takes more time. It takes more time. Yeah, let me let me share that with our audience as well. Because I wasn't going to say anything, but we tried the star system too. And it worked for Courtney, our mm -hmm. oldest. And it totally fell apart for Nadia. Because right. Nadia, she's got her own intrinsic. Not, it, it's got to be right for Nadia. You know what I'm saying? Courtney needs... Courtney likes the applause. Uh, Courtney likes uh -huh. the stars and everything. But then Nadia, she's like, star, like, does this feel good to me? You know, like, like, like that's basically how, how, how Nadia is. So, yeah. so yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's really good. And you almost like love languages for kids. Absolutely. You know? Oh, Gary Chapman. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, Miss Leah, you were, you are a Proverbs thirty-one woman in my in my eyes, where you have always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Where you have, uh, you know, you had a lot of businesses. Me and Kim, at least when we're not a, not talking about your businesses, but talking about our businesses, we call them side hustles. You know, so so so. Uh, now, my question is, what was your favorite business that you started as a mom, and then also, you know. If only if you feel led, do you have a business that you would say to moms, eh, you can avoid this one? You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you could just leave that one out. You could just focus on the positive you want. Wow, man. Um, so there's like some crazy number, like 10,000 people every single day are signing up for some sort of home-based business. 10,000 a day in the U.S. So home-based businesses are huge. And you're right. I've, when I was still living at home, before I was even married, um, I sold Mary Kay. And really, I just like bought a whole bunch of makeup so I could wear it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then what, how, what did I do next? Um, jewelry. I sold sterling silver jewelry with Silpata. Um, and they went out of business, you know, home-based. And um, and now I, I still do essential oils. Um, so those are like the home-based things. And, and each, I would say probably that one is my favorite because there's value added for the kids, Sure. you know, of course, sure. like the health aspect and, and they like tinker and they mix stuff and like, Hey mom, I got to cut. Can I put this on it? And they'll, <laughs> all right if naomi if you ever watch this i'm so sorry i'm about to call you out i love you so much sweetheart um so she naomi I, it was years ago but rose oil it was like a small bottle rose oil is crazy expensive like mm. crazy expensive and i won i won a bottle of rose oil in a contest five hundred dollars for a little bottle this 
Like, I mean, so she loved the smell of the rose oil and she knew it was good for your skin. So she came downstairs one day to me and she's like, Mama, feel my face. Feel, feel my hands. She's like, I put rose on me and I'm like, what, 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 what? And then she's like, I put the rose oil on me. And I composed myself. I'll be right back. And I went upstairs and the bottle was empty. Oh, I love it. She anointed herself. She she anointed herself. Like that anointing that lasts for like 20 years. I mean, like that's the (laughs) wet. We're mixing stuff, and um, so that's that's fun. Um, I've had all kinds of ideas, like you know, organizing other people's stuff. I might still want to be a counselor one day. I don't know. I when I get done with school, I want to teach. Okay, that's I mean, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, now, have you ever followed? There's a lady I'm trying to bring on here named Alejandra, uh, and she's from the Arlington Alexander, and she's a home organizer. Have you ever seen her no. stuff? No. Oh yeah, I gotta send you her stuff. All yeah, right. she's she kind of reminds you know y'all remind me of each other, and uh, she she she's she has a video called the most organized home in America, and uh, and, and her name is Alejandra, and she's local I believe or she at, at least at one point she was local to our area, so uh, I definitely want to I'll I'll send you the link I'll have Kim send you the link. Yeah. So oh, yeah. now, Miss Leah, you have recently re-entered the workforce. How did that feel re-entering the workforce? Man, every time we've had a child, I, I stopped working for like a year or two. Um, and I and I've always said, I'm never gonna work again. I'm gonna raise my kids, and then we run out of money, so I have to go back to work. So, <laughs> so like every two years, it's like I'm finding something new, and and that's why. All these years later, I have so many different types of experiences because mm. when I re-entered, I didn't always go back into the same thing that I did before. Sure. And, and that's actually a really good way to find out what your passions are and what your giftings are is don't be afraid to change it up, you know, and like go do something different. And and if you're not good at it, then you learn something like, I mean, mm. I, so <laughs> Now, 25 years later, I know what I'm good at. So right now, right. I I really enjoy working for nonprofits, um, for ministries, for churches, any anybody that serves others. You know, servant leadership is huge for me. Um, and so I'm working with a, a scholarship organization right now. And um, it's the Horatio Alger Association. And we provide scholarships for youth that have crazy adversities and that don't make a lot of money and we help them go to college like every single day my mind is blown at the sheer number of lives this organization touches and so basically like they partner with ultra wealthy philanthropers like ultra wealthy individuals who own massive amounts of um, companies and 
And then we are the middleman and we connect them with thousands of youth who would never have been able to go to college. And, and, and these, these kids have been through, we've lost a child. You know, that's, that is part of our story, but man, what these kids have been through at the age of 18, what we've been through doesn't even pale in comparison. I mean, they've got parents who are in and out of jail, parents who have passed away, they've been abused, they've, some are homeless, literally applying for these scholarships, like from their phone in their car without a home. And, and we get every single day, we get to connect them with money so that their entire family tree will be different. It's, it's, man, it's such a good fit. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. And it's only after working in places that I knew weren't good fits that I know this is a good fit. So, so if, if, if you find something that's not a good fit, stick around a little bit in that place and really like caress that a little bit and find out why something isn't a good fit. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only way to make better decisions about your movement is if you know why something doesn't fit you. Mm, that's good. That is so good. That is so good. That is so good. Um, now, you are a superhero of ours. What book outside of the Bible do you recommend that, that has helped you the most on your life journey? So, I, man, we've, I've, I'm reading like 15 books at a time for school. And so I, I actually thought the the most influential book um, during my schooling, like this over this the course of this past little over a year has been Decisive by Chip and Dan Heath. Okay. And it is really, it, it's, it was for a management class. Like it's for management and leadership, but I have used the skills that I learned from that book in so many everyday decisions. Mm-hmm. So it's all about what what faculties do you need about you to make a good decision? Oh, we are not born good decision makers. No, no, you know, whether you are leading an organization or whether you're a first time parent, like right, we are right, not right. inherent good decision makers. So this book teaches you how like steps to go through all right what what do i need to look at how many people is this decision going to involve is it all internal is it external is it's just really really good i like processes um but i do not like processes that are so complicated that if you forget a step you're going to fail so mm. this book is like perfect it's it's got these processes but they're processes that once you know it, it makes sense. And so the next time you make a decision in your mind, you just go through these steps because Honestly. it makes sense what to do. So it's Decisive by Chip and Dan Heath. Oh, I can't wait to get that. I can't wait. They have an auto, do they have a, I wonder if they have an audible version. I, I can't wait to check it out. A lot of the Heath, it's, it's two brothers. They have a lot of books and a lot of their books are audio. I don't know if this one is or not, but man. Okay. 
That's good. That's good. Now we also we we look up to you as a as a as a parent. We look up to you all as as great parents. Um, what book can you remember? A book that helped you with your parenting? Mm. Probably Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages of Children. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, back when the Five Love Languages came out. It was super popular. And then it just kind of became like background noise. Like every marriage counseling has to be the five love languages. Everybody's using the terminology of the love languages. And it, and it felt like it was just background noise. And somebody would mention it. It's like, oh, I know, I know about that book. And everybody knows about it. But it's one of those things, once you read it and you learn what the languages are, you don't have to read it again. Like sure. I know which one of our kids thrives on the reward system. I know which ones thrive on um, verbal love, like saying I love you. I know which one of our kids thrives by touch. If it weren't for that book, for Gary Chapman's Love Languages of Children, I would not have recognized that each of my kids might have their own language. I would have, and this is what I did. This is what I used to do. I would give them love in the way that I spoke love. And, and a lot of people do that. That's the whole concept of the love languages book is that we tend to show love in our favorite method, regardless of what that person's is. So it's really about taking the time to get to know your kids and how they respond, how they want to be affirmed. And it comes into like discipline as well, disciplining them with love. You should discipline them in their love language and it's going to be so much better received. That is so good. That is so good. That's, you know, I, I've done love languages um, in marital classes and I just, it never, really sunk in regarding kids. So, so you've really helped us there as well. Now, uh, what is your favorite Bible verse or book that's had the most impact uh, for you? Um, of course, we all, we all know that the whole Bible's inspired. We love the whole Bible. But is there a particular verse or a particular book that has resonated with you? Wow. Um, it, I go through seasons. Um, Ephesians, just the whole book of Ephesians is really significant lately because of our kids' school. So um, one of the things, one of the things that our kids' school does, the first graders, they have to memorize Ephesians chapter one Mm -hmm. in its entirety. Second graders memorize Ephesians chapter two in its Mm -hmm. entirety. So by the time a child goes through Ephesians, like goes through sixth grade, they have memorized the whole book of Ephesians. Wow. wow. I can't do that. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, I can't remember a song. <laughs> but the reason I say that's significant for me is that I see, I see the possibility in my kids memorizing scripture. And mm. And I wish that I had put scripture to memory when I was younger. Like that just, it just, that wasn't a thing when I was growing up. That wasn't, 
an expectation of the churches I went to. Like, you know, you memorize like a verse, but True. I mean, I cannot recite entire segments of scripture. And if I try now, it's not going, it's not going to stick. I watch them and I just want them to, I just want, I crave that for them, like more and more and more and more, because when they get older, they won't forget it. Amen. Amen. And so when I hear them reciting Ephesians, it speaks to me so much different than when I have ever read it myself, because my kids are committing it to memory. And when I'm gone, you know, years from now, when Milton and I are gone, they, I, I hope and pray that they can recite that when they get older and that those verses will help them through whatever life throws their way. That is powerful. That is powerful. That is so powerful. We're experiencing the same thing with our uh, homeschool curriculum with our, mm-hmm. uh, with, with both of our babies. Not even my five-year-old, she, she'll hit you with, in the beginning, in Genesis 1, 1, you know, she'll, <laughs> she'll, be, she'll hit us with that. She's real excited about that. Amen. So moms have to, you're a very organized, disciplined person, and moms have to deal with other moms who might be in a different place. You know, uh, they might be in a different place spiritually. They might be in a different place organizationally. And you have been very, very active in your church, having to deal with a lot of moms and a lot of moms in homeschool groups. And and for our audience, your family is uh, what I call Northern Virginia church famous. OK, so so everybody within the church, uh, the, you know, like within the church family, they kind of know the, the Zapata family. So my question is, how do you manage all of those relationships so that they don't intrude, they don't intrude on your family's peace or purpose. And the reason why I say that, I mean, let's just be transparent. I moved, my wife and I moved our family out to Caroline County just because we couldn't get through a meal in Woodbridge, you know, you know, without being, you know, without being interrupted or without us, you know, we couldn't go to a movie without someone you know, like judging us or, you know, what have you. So uh, my question is, how have you been able to carve out your family's peace and purpose? Because you're a very organized person. How do you deal with people who their words might not be well-crafted or, you know, they might say things they should not say or ought not say? And how do you deal and how do you, how do you navigate through all of that? Mm. So I will say one of the blessings of the pandemic is that it forced everyone to take, take a step back and, and we couldn't do anything. I mean, like March 13th was my last day going into the office last year and I never stepped foot in that office again. And like, that was, that was the beginning of what would be a year plus of just purging activities and so that that um sudden pause Milton and I took advantage of that and we actually said all right these are all the external things that were coming at our family when everything opens back up what are we going to allow back in what are we going to allow back in and we never would have done that on our own because, every, I mean, we do this. I think most people tend to do this. 
you're asked to do something and of course you can squeeze it in and then you squeeze this in and you squeeze this in and who you are is simply what you do. And so I think the only way to figure out who you are is to separate yourself from what you do and give yourself the permission to say no. When I was the director of serve at Christ Church, one of my favorite things to tell our volunteers and our um, volunteer leaders was, it is okay to say no. I, I encourage you to say no, because if you say yes to everything you're asked, and if you happen to say yes to something that is not within your gifting, you are keeping it from somebody else who it might be in their gifting. So, so if something doesn't fit, say no to it. And like, it is okay to say no. Give yourself permission to, to step away from things. Because when you step away, God will fill that hole with someone else. And you can even be a prayer warrior for who's going to fill in your shoes. So we, in our own family, um, in our home, inside our home is like our quiet space. You know, we get in here, the shoes go off, the socks go off. Like this, this is our comfy space. And we always thought we would have a home that anybody could just stop by, stop by any time, you know, have dinner and all. And, and we always thought we would have that kind of home and we envisioned that kind of home and it didn't turn into that necessarily. And it's a good thing because this is, this is our respite. This is our quiet place. Um, but you, even, even if your home isn't quiet, you can make a quiet space. Like you can quiet yourself anywhere. Like God, God, you can ask God to quiet you anywhere. And, and there are some folks who cannot get that quiet, you know, external that they just can't get that quiet. But God can bring a peace that passes all understanding. And that doesn't mean all that external is going to go away. It means your, your soul and so I think that that is where we have come to over over time is that we find our peace and we find our rest in him, no matter what's going on. So if it's super busy, that's okay. If it's super quiet, that's okay. Amen. Amen. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Now, at Becoming Discipline, we examine discipline or organization in the following areas. Spirituality mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, financial discipline, time management, home and data organization. I think I know where the strong points are, but which one of these areas do you feel is undeveloped or you could use some extra work? And most of our listeners, I got to repeat it twice. So I'll, I'll, I mean, most of our, our guests, we have to repeat it twice. So I'll say it again. Spirituality, mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, Financial discipline, time management, home, and data organization. What could use some work? So I think both Milton and I would say the physical and health aspect. And we just bought a recumbent bike. <laughs> like, 
a few weeks ago and, and like man i'm all over that thing like <laughs> we got the kind that has the screen and so you can do a like a digital ride through oh, cool. anywhere in the world and and I'm, I'm like motivated and the reason i we needed to like invest in something like that was because i felt like i could concentrate better on school i feel this is like a convoluted way to buy a electric bike but um i feel guilty when i'm reading because i think i should be doing something else if i'm sitting down reading a book i'm thinking about doing the dishes and i'm thinking about the laundry that isn't being done and i'm thinking i feel guilty just sitting and reading a book so there is no such thing as leisure reading for me and that like I need to become disciplined. So, brother Tony, if you can help me in that. Uh, <laughs> so, I put my, my school books on audio and I can do the bike at the same time. Awesome. <laughs> so, so, then, like, I'm giving myself permission to sit and relax and, and read while I'm also doing something else. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. The, the, the reason we want to get healthier. We both, I don't, we don't care how much we weigh. We don't care if we jiggle or not, whatever. We just want to be around for our kids longer than our current trajectory. Sure. Yeah, I joked, uh, I said this online and I kind of meant it. It was like, if you hit your, when you hit your 40s, if you don't become really focused on your health, you're basically saying, I want to be out of here by 65, you know, because, you know, when you hit your 40s, that that check engine light comes on, you know, so you have to you have to kind of begin, you know, because you start to feel things that you never felt before. And, you know, things, uh, you know, like I, I literally I pulled my back when I, you know, I pulled my back doing the simplest of things the other day where I wasn't, I was barely moving and I pulled my back. So the check engine light comes on in your 40s. So we definitely have to. When you pulled your back, you probably that. took like three weeks for it to get better. That's right. That's right. I'm still feeling it a little yeah. bit. I'm still feeling it. So uh, yeah, that's definitely one of the areas we're working on as well. Now, can, can you tell us, so, you know, this is your time now whether it's essential oils or anything else that you want to focus on. Do you, have, can you share your website or where we can buy your products or where, we, or if you're not, if you don't want to do that, if, if you can't think of any of that, if you could just share where you all fellowship at so that we can kind of direct people to you. Oh yeah. So yeah, I mean like we, we're passionate about a bunch of things and I can, um, yeah. So like we use doTERRA oils. That's in, I mean, so even the oils are wrapped up in our personal story. Um, our kids had MRSA a long time ago. Israel was only three years old and Naomi was five and they got MRSA from the indoor playground at Fair Oaks Mall. And um, we took them to the doctor and, and the medicine that the doctor prescribed it could, would cause like the MRSA postules to get smaller but it wouldn't make the MRSA itself go away. It would still be in the system. But a side effect is that it could cause him to go sterile. So at three years old, this could make him not be able to have children. And it wouldn't even actually kill the MRSA. So, so when he was three, that's when I reached out just to the wider audience. And I said, hey, 
does anybody know of anything to help with MRSA? And so my friend Tracy was like, I treated my kids with MRSA with essential oils. So that's what, that is what got us started. Um, and then fast forward a few years and, you know, we have Solomon, of course, but um, we've also had three miscarriages. So, so we've got like, I mean, we've got a party group up there just waiting for our arrival. <laughs> we've got Amen. Amen. Never met, but we've had three miscarriages and um, our first one, we went to the hospital and had a procedure done to, you know, take the remnants of the baby out when, after he passed. Um, but I don't want to go through that again. I don't want to go to the hospital when we had the second miscarriage. I don't want to go to the hospital and have a surgery and not get to bring home a baby. So we actually used the essential oils when I had a miscarriage. Mm. And they, when we, we had the doctor on the phone with us and it was really, really um, regulated and he was with us the whole time and he knew what we were using. And massive amounts of lavender can cause your body to go into contractions. Oh, wow. So we knew the baby had passed yeah. and we just, Milton just gave me an all over like body massage with a bunch of lavender and I went into contractions on my own oh, wow. and we passed the baby at home. Oh, wow. um, and then frankincense helps to stop that process. Oh, wow. So there's, I'm, I'm just very, I mean, there's frankincense and myrrh and, and all of this is mentioned in the Bible, of course, you know, and, and just the fact that we can use these natural things when we have such emotional things happening. Um, so anyway, yeah, the oils are just really a big part of, of what we do and who we are. And, um, and I'm very emotionally tied to them. <laughs> so That's powerful. That's powerful. Yeah. And then our, our church, you know, we worship at um, Christ church in Fairfax station and we've got dear friends who are the pastors down at pillar in Dumfries. So, so on occasion we go down to pillar Milton will moonlight, worship lead over there when he's not at Christ Church. Um, we are our best friends in the whole world. He's um, they're out at the village with Matt Chandler um, in Flower Mound. Oh, wow. So uh, when we go out there, we visit there. So like we are we're church hoppers. Like, <laughs> you know, our foundation yeah. is Christ Church. But man, there's lots of people who can preach the word. <laughs> so, amen. Amen. So amen. We want to we want to hear the word, you know, from a few different voices. Oh, that's good. I think that's healthy as well. I think that's healthy, especially once people have their foundation down. Yes. I think that that's, uh, that's... And, and I would say only when you you know your foundation. Like right. you know, go here and, and and see how this is to you and, and how it speaks to you and 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 chew on it and then go here and chew on it, but not back and forth when it's like the foundational moments because churches are made of like a building full of sinners trying to get closer to Christ. 
huge building full of sinners, whether you're in the church or outside the church, it's not perfect. And so if you come into the church expecting to find people that are already perfect, then it's not going to be there. So you have to be willing to see the messy and, and be a part of the fixing of the messy. You just have to decide which set of mess fits you best. That's right. That's right. That's right. That is awesome. I like, I love that description. I love that description. Now, Leah, we can't thank you enough. Uh, we have laughed, we have cried, we've been inspired. Uh, you've given us everything in this interview. You, you definitely are, have changed lives. I know people will watch this interview and their lives will be changed for the rest of their life. Uh, their life will be changed. I know my life has been changed with some of the things that you've shared. We can't thank you enough for coming on. You didn't have to do this. You didn't need to do this. We truly appreciate you. You have the last. Now, just so you know, your audience is typically 30 to 55-year-olds who are, in, uh, and they're not all Christians, um, you know, mostly Christian, but not all Christian. Uh, and they're just trying to be, I call them the Get Better Club. Oh. They're just trying to be better versions of themselves, you know. So do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? I would love to just highlight um, during our season with Solomon, that that has been the most formidable journey that we have had, whether you're a believer or not. Um, I would say that the way God carried us through that time and he allowed us to have both joy and sorrow simultaneously. and he, he carried us through both of those and he, he lifted both of them up um, appropriately. And if you are not familiar with, with Christ and, and there is a moment in your life where you had sorrow that you weren't able to wrestle out of that, that he is the bringer of the joy that can come beside that sorrow. Uh, we're not called to not have sorrow as believers or non-believers. There, there will be times of sorrow, but if there's any any possibility of joy coming alongside that sorrow, it's from him and him alone. And so mm-hmm. I would invite you to, to invite him into that place um, and see if he can't elevate your sorrow to a different to a different level that's beautiful that is beautiful that is so beautiful that is so beautiful well, thank you so much miss leah you know i said i'll give you the last word but just you said something so profound um you know i know you you know that all of the kids movies that your kids watch they they kind of stay engrafted especially when your kids first start watching kids movies and my one of my first kids movies was uh, the inside the inside job or the inside story where it's all of the little emotional characters oh, that yeah, are inside yeah. of this little girl. Inside out? Or, yeah, yeah. Inside out, yeah. Inside out, yeah. And that that movie that show that movie always stayed with me. And they closed that movie with the importance of sorrow and joy Ooh. working together and and being necessary. For them both to stay, and even though I love the movie, it, that 
the ending just resonated with me differently now after hearing what you just shared. So I just thank you. You really have uh, you really have uh, changed our lives. So we really appreciate you, and we th- and we appreciate your testimony. Thank you. It was an honor. Wow, that interview was so incredible. Leah Zapata poured out into our lives, and if you want to pour back into her life please check out her various not-for-profit endeavors and please check out her for-profit endeavor, doTERRA. God bless you and please don't forget to subscribe.